Hello, everyone. This is episode nine of the Magnastics podcast. Just want to preface this episode. We would like to apologize for putting this podcast out about six months after we originally recorded it. Um, We almost scrapped this episode entirely for multiple reasons, but in the end, we chose to put it out. So, yeah, I think we recorded about four or five times between March and early April because things were just happening too fast, but we ended up scrapping a lot of that, so... Before we get started, I also need to let you know that when we recorded this, I was having some technical difficulties and was not able to record using my microphone, which makes the whole recording a bit echoey. I did my best to edit all the echoes out, but there are some bits where I was not able to without removing a bunch of important audio, so please just bear with us. I did get new equipment since we've recorded, so the next episode should be better than this. Anyway, let's get on with the rest of this episode. All right, I think we're going to start with Winter Cup. That feels like so long ago now, back before all the drama. Yeah, there there was a lot around this whole competition. <laughs> Where do we start with this? Um, so I guess we can start with day one, determine the all-around results, which then led to the six automatic uh, national team spots. Right, so maybe I should give some background on this as a little bit of a prelude to the whole thing. So last year, they started a new format for Winter Cup. This was based on feedback from the gymnasts. Previously, it was just two full days of all around back to back. So like no rest day, it was Saturday and Sunday, you had to do all around both days. And all around was determined based on the two-day total, as were the event totals. So a lot of guys, especially the ones who were competing in NCAA, said, you know what, this is too exhausting. Can you, like, change it a little bit? So what they did was they put a rest day in between. So now they compete Thursday and Saturday, I think. Well, that's what they did this past year. Maybe last year was Friday and Sunday. I don't remember. But they have a rest day now. And the all-around standings are determined after day one. The event standings are determined from the two-day total. So the way they did the automatic spots, the six automatic spots were determined from the top six all-around results on day one. And then the remaining six would be based on petitions and, like, two-day totals. This year was the second year with this format. So because all-around is determined on day one, that means that not everyone has to do all-around on day two. Like, not just the six guys who got automatic spots, but anyone else who qualified for the second day also. So a lot less stress on the athletes. So the uh, the day one results was Sam won with an 86.8. And worth noting on the 
first day he did kind of his standard difficulty routines. He brought the upgrades out for the second day. And then second was Shane Whiskus, who you might remember had his big breakthrough last year. He's really on a roll. Third was Brody Malone. So this guaranteed his first time on the senior national team, which is really cool because if you remember, it was a bit controversial last year when he didn't make it in the summer. And then do you want to talk about who came fourth? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, fourth actually went to Grant Breckenridge. Uh, he was on the Pan Ams team last year with Brody, if any of you remember that. But yeah, he like had the meat of his life and did super well. This is not his first time being named to the national team, but I think this is his first time getting one of those automatic spots. It's really cool. Yeah, and he was actually only... 0.05 behind Brody in third so like he really had like the best competition ever like he's always kind of been around like notable for his p-bars and high bar uh which he got good scores on but then like like solidly hit everything else and yeah yeah I don't think anyone think... expected that no the thing with Grant um I think he generally has lower difficulty than most of the other guys, but his execution is fantastic. I may or may not have raved about his vault before. He has, like, the best double-twisting Yurchenko you've ever seen. Oh, that reminds me. While day one was going on, um, I was actually able to watch it live, which was not the case for day two. But on day one, they had credited Grant with, the shoe felt I think so I was freaking out that he actually upgraded because he's been doing the double twisting Yurchenko for forever (laughs) so I was like oh my god he upgraded I can't believe it that wasn't true they just credited him with the wrong vault initially (laughs) and I was mildly disappointed because it's a relatively easy vault and he does it so well you'd think like he should upgrade but the fact is he does it so well he's getting like the same scores as the guys who do Kaz one and a half so it's probably not worth it at all for him yeah and the blind landing he might find that difficult or something we just don't know that's true anyway Um, I'm not complaining because it's beautiful (laughs) and then quite a way back from Grant so he was about a point and a half ahead of actually Yul and Alan tied for fifth place, like got exactly the same all around score, which is cute because they're teammates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're, those were the six guys who got the top six spots on day one. So they automatically made it. And then the other notable results, Colin Van Wicklin was seventh. He just missed out. Um, didn't have the greatest of days. And then just behind Colin was my fave, Paul Judah, who, uh, if you don't know, is a first-year senior, and he's awesome. <laughs> You've been obsessed with him for, like, a couple of years now. <laughs> yeah, I just, I think it was, like, it must have been three years ago, because I think I was watching under-16 nationals. 
and I just kind of like saw him and I just remember like his gymnastics was really good and like he just seemed so like happy and smiley and enjoying himself and I was like I'm going to adopt him (laughs) so that was a while ago and now the kind of random junior I decided to adopt is making waves in the senior scene so I love to see it so back to all around I'm sure most people were expecting Yule to be in the top three, and that did not happen. He did not have a good day. He was, I think he only actually counted the one fall on high bar, but um, he, so he had a lot of upgrades, and he just didn't quite look himself, I guess, like Yule's very stylish gymnast. He's very clean. That's kind of what he's known for. And he just didn't quite look like the Yule we're used to, I guess. Which is a little weird because at the HNI meet, which was just like two weeks before Winter Cup, he looked great and he won. He won all around. I can't remember the event standings, but that was with all the upgrades that he did at Winter Cup. So... I'm not really sure what happened. Yeah, I don't know. And then something else notable that happened day one is obviously you might realize we haven't mentioned Akash Modi yet, who's obviously been on the national team for several years. Um, He actually ended up in 15th. Not a great day overall, but especially because at the end of the day, he had like one of the weirdest falls I've ever seen on his rings dismount. He just like totally bailed out of it. I totally forgot about that. It was the very last routine of the entire competition. And it wasn't an equipment malfunction. They thought it might be at first, so they tried to see if he could repeat the dismount. But it wasn't anything to do with the equipment. So that was just, like, the end of the whole evening. And it was, like, I was just kind of, like, really, we're going to end with that? (laughs) Yeah, it was the weirdest thing because, like, he looked confused and his coach looked confused and no one really knew what was going on. But um, because before that happened, he was kind of looking like even though he had a few rough events, he could still push for that top six. I'm not sure if he would have made it or not, but he would have been close. Mm. So, yeah, that was very strange. And then not sure if there's anything else particularly from day one to mention well I guess we can start talking about how USA Gymnastics messed up well we can start here one of the ways in which USA Gymnastics messed up the first way right the first way was the awarding of the all-around medals I guess they initially said you know Sam McCulloch had the highest all-around total after day one. So their press release was like, McCulloch leads all-around standings. Not that he won, is that he was leading. And they were like, it was like they were still operating under the impression that all-around was based off of the two-day total, but it's not anymore, as I mentioned before. So they ended up, they they didn't fix this until like days after. <laughs> Um, They ended up, well, they gave, like, the awards and everything to the top six on Thursday. But they also gave awards 
on Saturday. So there were a couple people who, based on the two-day all-around total, got these plaques or whatever that technically were not supposed to receive them. Yeah, I mean, you'd think this is the second time they've done this format. They would kind of know what was going on, not really sure what happened there. But the thing is, this seemed like a whole, like, big, like, how could they get this wrong kind of thing at the time. But now it's like, well... (laughs) Drop in the bucket compared to everything else. Well, like, eh, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Anyway, so, on to day two. Yeah, so, usually the guys who get the automatic spots don't do all around on day two just because like pretty much the whole purpose of american cup is just kind of get those national team spots you mean winter cup winter cup i mean winter cup we're not on american cup yet we'll talk about that later yeah um but you'll actually i think he originally wasn't going to and just kind of made the last minute decision like during the competition if i remember correctly so and he had so much a better day on day two I mean still not quite the level we've come to expect from him but he hit his high bar routine and then I think floor was the main one he still had problems with but the rest was like solid and he uh, got a higher total by uh, 1.2 from day one so I think I think it was a good decision on his part to do all around yeah and you all ended up having the highest two-day all-around total yeah and then um Colin also had a better day on day two he ended up having the second highest two-day all-around total the highlight of which was a 14.75 on vault for his Dragulescu which he actually fell on on day one so that um made a big difference to his score and rounding out the top all-around standings for day two Paul Judah was in third. Yay. Uh, Akash Modi came in fourth, and Gage Dyer was in fifth. I don't remember anything past that. I also just want to say, do you remember, I think it was a couple, like a week or so before Winter Cup, I sent you a message, and it was like, once Paul Judah learns how to hit pommel horse, like, it's over for everyone. Yes, you did. you did say that. I did, and then what did he do at Winter Cup? He hit pommel horse. Mm-hmm. And he made the national team. So while we're on national team stuff, the remaining six spots, they ended up accepting three petitions. One from Danelle Wittenberg. I think he was still injured from Coppice. He had that foot injury. Trevor Howard, who withdrew due to illness and Steven Nedarosic, who went to Melbourne, and that was the same weekend. So I'm a little surprised they accepted three petitions. I feel like the past couple years, they've only accepted, like, two at a time. So I'm very surprised they accepted three. Yeah, I feel like it's a lot, but then you consider one of them was kind of I don't know what the right word is, like a technicality with Steve at Melbourne. I guess that was just like a special circumstance. Yeah. I wasn't even aware he was planning on going because he wasn't on the original roster 
like a week before the competition and apparently a couple people like saw on Instagram and then tweeted about it that he was in Australia but I didn't see it so then when I saw the qualification results I was like what (laughs) I was very confused so yeah and then um so Trevor did very well at HNI which I mentioned was a couple weeks before Winter Cup and I think that was definitely instrumental in them accepting his petition Turns out there was a fourth petition from Brandon Briones. He competed at Winter Cup, didn't have the best day. I'm not sure how good or bad it was because they didn't show a whole lot of him on the live stream and I haven't been able to see all routines from either day. But um, he did petition directly to the national team and they did not accept it. Yeah, so looking at the results, after day one, he was 16th. Um, he scored over 13 on every event. But then, so I was expecting him to do all around day two, like climb up the standings kind of thing. But he only did um, one event on day two, which was Pommel Horse. Um, so I was like, that's a bit weird. Maybe he injured himself on the first day. I'm not sure. Yeah, so not sure why he had to end up petitioning but that's the situation there um because I was kind of expecting him to kind of make an impact at Winter Cup to be honest Um, right he's been doing so well in NCAA you you'd think that he would just I don't know but you know what this happened with Shane for like two years where he was doing really well in NCAA and didn't quite break onto the national scene for a while so yeah, I mean, um, just thinking about Shane, I'm trying to, he, because I remember last year he did, like, really not good at Winter Cup. I'm just looking at the results because I'm curious now about where he came. From last year? Yeah. 27th. All around or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Shane went from 27th to second in a year, which is kind of insane. Yeah. Well, he always had it. It was just on the day didn't work out for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see what Brandon does the rest of the year. But hopefully, like, he's not seriously hurt or something. So anyway, they accepted three petitions, which meant there are three spots left that we haven't entirely talked about yet because there's only 12 spots on the national team. So they ended up taking these from the two day all around total. And you uh, qualified on day one, so he doesn't count. And they ended up taking Colin, Paul and Akash. Yeah, I think um, Colin and Paul definitely like, it was pretty clear they were going to be added. I think the only one that maybe could be a bit questionable is Akash. Uh, Cause like you've got people like Gage Dyer one floor and came fifth all around. And then there's also, cause they've got a, uh, the point system. Uh, right. Marvin Kimball actually ended up having a higher uh, points total than Akash did, but he only competed four events on day two. Right. And then the other elephant in the room, if you will, was the fact that 
Alec Yoder wasn't selected for the national team. And the thing was, Alec only did pommel horse on both day one and day two. I know he only did the one event the first day of nationals over the summer and then petitioned to the national team due to injury. And I'm not sure what he he has shoulder problems primarily, I think. So I'm not sure what his injury situation is and what else he is or isn't capable of at the moment. But I think we both agree that if he did more than just pommel horse, he would have had a better chance of being selected. Yeah, I kind of, I mean, I saw people kind of questioning the fact that he wasn't added to the national team, but. Especially because, um, sorry, kind of jumping ahead a little here. His two day total at winter cup was the same as, or average was the same as Steve's when he competed in Melbourne. So people are like, why was Steve selected and Alec wasn't? Yeah. So that's what I was getting at is like, I personally wasn't like surprised at all. Cause I mean, you've got Steve's just gone and won a world cup and yes, Alec did amazingly. He scored a 15.3 on day two, but like there's 12 spots and they're both only doing the one same event. I just, obviously Steve's going to be on the national team. They're going to send him to the other World Cups to try and get that spot. I just don't, um, like if they had more national team spots, maybe. I think when there's only 12 spots, having two guys who are, at least in Alex's case, currently only doing the one event. Right, I and just, especially with this quad's emphasis on all-arounders or, you know, smaller teams that necessitate all-arounders, it generally is not a strength to only do one event. Yeah. Um, Which I realize goes against both of them, but... <laughs> yeah, so you've got these two world-class guys on one event. You've only really got space for one of them. Yeah, that's just kind of... But um, if Alec adds back other events if he's anywhere near the level he was in 2018 he's definitely going to be more of a factor later in the year speaking of national team size i'm i'm looking at the meeting minutes from the meeting they had after world cup oh they said they would consider adding more didn't they yes they put up a number of things for discussion no decision has been made but one of the items up for discussion is increasing the size of the national team, which is pretty exciting. We've talked before, I think, about how 12 is just kind of an arbitrary number and doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Now, they only have 12 funded spots, but they can always add unfunded spots, and they haven't. Yeah, I just... Thinking about, like, other countries' national teams, I feel like most of them are, like, for the top teams, a fair bit bigger than 12. So, two of the other items they brought up for discussion, one is USAG funding for the World University Games, or Universiad, which I think is pretty cool, because historically, while the U.S. has sent a team, well, 
they sent a team in 2017 and they only sent um, Steve and Alex Dieb this past summer. But um, that's it's not has not been funded by USA Gymnastics. They've had other funding. So if they're talking about funding, you know, to actually send college students to that competition, I think that's pretty cool. And the other item that they have here is add another World Cup event in the U.S. I don't know what they mean by that. Probably like an individual event cup. But yeah, I mean, I feel like that's not really up to them. And also, I don't know, like, even if they're thinking about like talking to like asking the FIG about it. Honestly, I don't know how FIG could like give an event to USAG given everything that's happened. I'm not sure how much they will take that into consideration. I just, I, I don't know. It feels like, I don't know. I just feel like it would be a bit weird to be like, yeah, you can have even more responsibility. I mean, it's just up for discussion yet. They have not made a decision, but it would be interesting if any progress was made on that front. What was the thing about the... um? Pan Ams? They've already decided to send an all-Stanford team to the Stuttgart Team Challenge. And after Winter Cup concluded, they've also decided which athletes they were going to send to Pan Ams. So, we, yeah, which is basically everyone on the national team who does all around who didn't go to Worlds. Right, so that would be Brody, Grant, Allen, Paul, Colin, and Danelle. Yeah, so obviously they've got that um, continental Olympic spot in, in mind for that. Anything else? Should I mention who is going to Stuttgart? <laughs> yeah, we might as well get into that. <laughs> the team for the Stuttgart World Cup, or sorry, the team challenge, not the all-around. We'll get to the all-around in a minute. It's Akash, Brandon Briones, Riley Luce, Grant, Brody, and Andrew Bittner, who did not compete at Winter Cup. But Bittner is down as the alternate right now. Okay, back to the drama. Yeah, and finally, shall we get into the whole individual World Cup drama. Yeah. So before Winter Cup, Yule had been named to three of the all-around World Cups. He was named to Stuttgart and Birmingham, and he was also down as the wild card for American Cup and was on like all the promotional materials and Everyone, including Yule and his coach, Mark Williams, were under the impression that these spots were his just as long as he confirmed his spot on the national team, which he did. And then, was it like early Sunday morning, everyone finds out that, well, Yule's mom made a Twitter account just to tweet that Yule had been stripped of all of his World Cup assignments. She said all of them. And everyone was like, what? Because other than Sam, Yule has been like 
the USA Gymnastics darling for most of this quad. I don't really know how else to explain it. So everyone was very confused. None of the communications from anyone really indicated that Yule's spot was nominative and not, like, set in stone. So then we find out that Yule is keeping his place for the Stuttgart All-Around World Cup, but... They're sending Brody to Birmingham, and they were putting uh, Shane as the American Cup wild card. Oh, boy. Where do I want to go from here? (laughs) So the thing is, like we said, Shane came second to Sam on day one. And I actually tweeted, like, oh, like, because you all did relatively poorly, as we mentioned. I, I tweeted, like, oh, like, what are the odds they like, give one of yours World Cup assignments to Shane. Um, it's all your fault. All my fault. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, I mean, because I was just thinking, like, they're Olympic qualifying events. They probably want the best chance of qualifying a spot. And Shane, like, looks better now. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. I think before we get any further into this, I don't think we disagree with the choice to send Shane and Brody to these World Cups. Exactly. It's the way it was handled. Exactly. So while this decision is like based on results justified, the fact of the matter is when you got these assignments, it wasn't like, oh, if these people beat you at Winter Cup, then they'll get your spot. Like there right. was nothing Let's... that said that Winter Cup was like a selection event which is obviously something that needs to be communicated beforehand if they're going to use it like that. Right. And I think one of the things that came out of this whole ordeal was that USA Gymnastics doesn't actually have any formal selection procedures for World Cups, so they need to get on that. Yeah, especially, like... This year would have been the perfect time to set them out since they're so important this year. It's just ridiculous. I mean, everything that, like, every new thing that someone involved said about it was like, oh, my God, how are they, how have they handled this whole thing so badly? And by they, I mean USAG, of course. Like, how can they possibly be treating their athletes like this? It's just a complete, complete mess. And I think one of the things that really rubbed me the wrong way, I guess, was that, according to Twitter, Brett McClure told Kensley, who works a lot with Jim Castic, about the all-around World Cup selection before Mark Williams was told anything, which, like, don't you think you would want to tell the coach and the gymnast what was going on before you told anyone in the media? Like, what? It just doesn't make any sense. Like, there's hmm. handling something badly and then being completely incomprehensibly stupid. Yeah. Like, I just, I don't, nothing about it makes any sense to me. I don't know how any of this, like, worked like, they were like, oh, yeah, this sounds like a good thing to do. I just, I'm completely just, I can't get my head around it. It's just ridiculous. 
Yes, so apparently Mark then petitioned for a compromise solution, which really Yule just wanted that American Cup spot to try and defend his title. I think American Cup was pretty important to him, but um, that was rejected. So the weird thing about that to me is like it would have made the most sense. Like, it would have made the most sense if Yule's the one who had, like, the less good result at Winter Cup. Give him the assignment that doesn't count towards Olympic qualifying. You know, give Shane, who's doing amazingly, one of the ones that does count. Plus, the whole thing with Yule going for four titles. Like, oh, it just... Mm. Mm. Once everyone else figured out that they were sending Shane and Brody to these World Cups, they were like, why are you sending Shane to American Cup and why are you sending Brody to Birmingham? Like, what's the reasoning behind this? And what I think it comes down to, this is the only thing that makes any sense to me, is that both of these guys are active NCAA athletes and Shane, who attends Minnesota, Minnesota was on a bye this past weekend when American Cup happened. And Brody, who goes to Stanford, they have a break between quarters, like they're on a quarter system. Their quarter break is when Birmingham happens. So, yeah, like I minimal mean, disruption for their schooling. Yeah, I mean, it does... That part of it does make sense, but also I'm like, why are you basing your Olympic qualification assignments on school schedules? Like, NCAA athletes have missed stuff for World Cup assignments before. Right. Like, they're sending Steve to Baku and Doha, and that's two whole weeks right there. Yeah, I just, I mean, the whole thing, like, you can be like, okay, like, this is why they've done this. But then you're like, actually, it doesn't make sense. I think at this point, most of us have given up on trying to find the reason behind USAG decisions. The reason is they don't know how to run an organization. That's the reason. Apparently, a lot of the people who were a lot of this, I don't know if it was, I don't think it was necessarily event staff at Winter Cup, but a lot of like the USAG staff is relatively new, which I don't know how much of that explains anything at all, but I guess it's worth mentioning. Yeah. And it also took them like a thousand years to make any kind of statement about the whole thing. Right. Even just with who was selected to the national team, they tweeted, what was it? Sometime on Sunday the other six guys who are named to the national team, but they didn't make their official press release for another, like, two days, which is weird. Yeah, and I just, the thing is, USAG have clearly always had the priority with the women's gymnastics program, obviously, and, like, I get it. They're a bit, like, they're this huge team. They're all that successful. Like, I don't blame them for focusing more on the women's team I mean it makes perfect sense I don't have a problem with that but it there's a difference between just giving the women more attention and just treating the men like an afterthought 
which is what it feels like. It feels like they're like, oh, like, USAG, like, you know, most dominant team in the world, blah, blah, blah. Like, and then we've got these men doing some things as well. Yeah. Don't forget they also have, like, the TNT and rhythmic athletes. So I can't imagine how they feel. Yeah. And it just kind of, I don't know, this whole thing is just kind of confirmed to me even more. They don't really care about the men's program like I said there's a difference between like focusing more on the women like that's fine I totally get it but like not even kind of caring enough to like make a national team announcement about the men is ridiculous all right on to the Melbourne World Cup so the first heartbreaking thing that happened was Kazuki Minami who won the last World Cup on the floor in Cottbus, he apparently got injured in podium training, so he had to withdraw. Because, like, when, like, the final starters came out, he wasn't there. I was like, where is he? What's happening? But the good news is it doesn't seem like it's too serious because he's still down to do Baku and Doha. So the real... He can still win. He can still win. He can still get the spot. That's, for me, that's the dream. Still alive. (laughs) So with Kazuki out, the biggest story was definitely Ryu Sunghyun. So if you don't recognize that name, he is the current junior world champion on floor. He's 17 years old. So this was his first ever senior competition. And he did in the final. I haven't seen his quals routine, but his routine in the final was honestly like this is one of the best routines I have ever seen. Like ever. I, I watched it multiple times. Yeah, like, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was like, am I, like, counting these twists right? Is he really doing this? He did a triple twist as a side pass. Like, ugh. And so he also did front full to front triple and two and a half to front double twist and dismounted with a stuck three and a half twist. So most guys you see who will do a three and a half will do it into, like, connect it into another skill but no he did it as a dismount and stuck it cold it was absolutely insane I was like I don't know how this isn't gonna win so he was first up in the final and yeah he did he did end up winning and when I score him up I was like oh that seems a little low to me like but the scoring was actually quite kind of stricter throughout the whole final so relative to everyone else I was like actually yeah this is he he still had the highest execution score the whole final so exactly exactly and he also his difficulty was 6.5 so I'm not sure what it was at junior worlds obviously they count two less skills but like oh my god I think it was still I think it was like a 6.0 maybe I don't think it was that high really I'm gonna wait I have I have the results up 5.5 so he went up a whole point from junior worlds which yeah. is ridiculous. Yeah. So obviously you've got the extra skills, but then he's also like, yeah, I don't remember exactly. I don't recall him having a three and a half in his junior world routine, and he definitely didn't have a front triple. So, yeah. So now he's got 30 points, and he's in the position he could win Baku and Doha and get an Olympic spot. The floor race is really heating up. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because, like, 
Ryu and Minami both have 30 points and obviously need to win the remaining two. But then there's also the situation where, so we've got Zapata has 85 points. So it's like if Kazuki wins one and then like comes second in the other one, and then Ryu wins the other one and comes second in the one Kazuki wins, they're all going to have 85 points. Yeah, and then it comes down to the tiebreaker between all three of them. And then, depending on who wins the other events, there could be an intra-country tiebreak. Right, like this is, it's, ah. Okay, so the other people on floor. So I mentioned Zapata, he was also in this final. He had some landing issues. He ended up in fifth place. And that included, he landed his dismount, which is a double layout. He landed it with both feet out of the floor. So not his not his best. The other medalists were Kirill Prokopiev from Russia. He came second. I think also he was just a bit, a little bit hoppy. I mean, he's got an amazing routine as well. He's got 6.4 difficulty. And then the bronze went to Mila Karimi of Kazakhstan. Um, he also had a 0.3 out-of-bounds penalty, but he had the second-highest execution score in the final, so that kind of made up for it. Oh, what was crazy was... So Jorge Vega Lopez of Guatemala, he was in this final. He did a routine with seven tumbling passes. I didn't even count. Wow. Yeah. So I'm looking back at my live tweets. And, like, because I was typing out the skills, I didn't even realize. And then I looked at it and I was like, wait a second. That's a lot of, that's a lot of tumbling passes. And it's, yeah, he's got seven tumbling passes in his routine because he doesn't have as many connections as, like, most guys get down to, like, five or six tumbling passes through having multiple combination passes. But he didn't, his, like, big passes were single skill passes. So he had multiple ones of them to kind of make up for that. So that was kind of crazy. I mean, I think Gianni Regini Moran has also recently done a seven-pass routine. And obviously back in the day, Dennis Abiazin had one as well. But, like, they're the only ones I can think of who have done that. Because obviously it's like a race against time to get everything in there. Plus it's just exhausting. Yeah, I can't even imagine. No, nuh just no. <laughs> so then the rest of the final in okay I don't know how you actually pronounce Shuramko's first name because I think like the Belarusian transliteration is like weird compared to how it's actually pronounced that's like what I've heard I don't know how you actually pronounce it do you know I don't either but based on Ollie's pronunciation it's kind of like Igor. Yeah, I have no idea. I'll put that on my uh, homework list. <laughs> okay, so um, I'll just stick to his last name for now. So Sharamko of Belarus was fourth with a 14.033. He's actually, like, he used to compete a triple back, but I haven't seen him do it in a while so he's kind of down on difficulty from what he's capable of at the moment. And then, as I said, Zapata in fifth. And then Ethan Dick of New Zealand was sixth. And he had the lowest difficulty in the final, but the most beautiful toe point. Just the yeah. absolute beautiful. Love it. 
so he scored a 13.766. Seventh was Vega Lopez, as I mentioned. And then rounding out the final was Bram Verhofstad of the Netherlands. He had some problems. He was a bit scrappy. He kind of he had to downgrade one of his passes, so lost some difficulty there. But what we have to remember is he's been out with a back injury for like ages. Um, yeah, like a whole year. Yeah. So it's it's good to see him back. He looks like good. Like, it was a rough routine, but he looks like he's comfortable with his tumbling and all that kind of stuff. So it was really nice to see him back. And he'll be in Baku, so we can see him again. Yeah. Okay, so on to Pommel Horse. Well, we've already mentioned that Nedarasik won. Yeah, his routine was amazing. I was really, really impressed because we've mentioned before that kind of consistency isn't really or hasn't at least been his strong suit. You never really know what you're going to get with him. But um, he but really hit out of the park here. This whole calendar year, so like all of 2020, he's been great. It's like a totally different gymnast than we saw in 2019. I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah, and it's crazy because he's doing, it seems like he's better when he's doing the harder routine. Yeah. Which is like, Completely counterintuitive, but, I mean, he'll probably take it. <laughs> right, so I think in our last episode, we mentioned he has a 6.8. He only did the 6.7 here, so I think he just didn't do the harder dismount. Yeah, I think, I don't know if that was intentional or if he just didn't quite, like, feel it when he was up there, but, I mean, I didn't even register it at first because I was just completely in awe of the routine, to be honest. I didn't either. Yeah, so he got a 15.4 with that, which obviously if you remember any of the scores from Worlds, that's like metal territory. Yeah, I think I've said this before, but like I feel like he would absolutely probably be one of, if not the best chance for the USA guys to get an Olympic medal in Tokyo if he makes it. At this point... If they end up getting one with one of those extra spots, I think he would probably be their first choice. Yeah, absolutely. If he doesn't get this pommel horse spot, he's like he's got to be the first on the list. Like yeah. obviously they should have a selection procedure mapped out, <laughs> like we said before. But I mean, any logical selection procedure would like favor him anyway. So. They actually do have Olympic selection procedures published, just saying. Including for the, um, like, extra spots. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just the, the other stuff that they don't have selection procedures for. <laughs> yeah, see, it is like not a... that hard to make selection procedures. So he won by a lot. Almost four times, yeah. Second place was Kaika from Iran, who thankfully managed to be allowed into Australia to compete. Because like we said in the last podcast, they were not going to let the Iranian gymnasts into Australia. But then they just like magically showed up. No one issued any statement or anything. It was just kind of like, oh, yeah, they're here. They competed. Here are the results. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm really happy that he was able to compete. He did a really nice routine. 
he's still got a chance to get that spot. So the next few World Cups are going to be really, really interesting. And then third right. place was Kohei Kamiyama with a 14.833. He actually has a 6.8 difficulty, which he did. Like, like you say, <laughs> Stephen has 6.8, but he didn't do the whole 6.8 here. Kamiyama did his whole big routine nearly kind of I don't know what the word is like died on his dismount I thought like until the dismount I was like oh I like I can't call it between him and Steve like oh my god it's gonna be so close and then he just kind of flew away yeah yeah so that was quite unfortunate but what I really liked was that Kamiyama and Steve, they both have these huge routines, but they're totally different types of routines, like completely different styles, but ending up with the same or similar difficulty scores. I think that's really cool. So the other big thing that happened in this final was our very first competitor, Robert Seligman of Croatia, who in the middle of his routine broke his finger and was not able to finish. Yeah. That was not nice. Yeah. When it was actually airing, we weren't sure. I think he thought it was dislocated at first, so he ran to his coach to, like, put it back in place. And his coach, like, moved it a little, and you just saw his face, like, contort in pain. It did not look very good. So we weren't really sure what happened for, like... He was going to get imaging done back in Croatia, so we weren't sure, you know, what exactly the injury was for a couple of days. And then we found out, you know, later the next week that his finger is actually broken, not dislocated. So he is unable to train for a couple of weeks and therefore cannot attend Baku and Doha. And basically his shot at getting that pommel horse spot, which was... You know, not great, but not non-existent. He's done. Yeah, I think that's the first time I've ever seen someone have to, like, withdraw from the middle of the Pommel Horse final. Like, I've probably seen it on, like, every other event, but never on Pommel Horse. Yeah, well, even Seligman himself said he's never gotten an injury like this before, so... It was just very, very weird. Yeah. He does hope to be well enough to return by Euros, though. He wants to compete there, so not sure if that'll happen, but we'll see. So then the other finalists, it was kind of, it was a bit of a, it was kind of one of those pommel horse finals where there weren't that many clean routines so fourth place was Thierry Pellerin of Canada. He did a really nice routine for 14.566. And then Tan Fuji of Malaysia, he he was another one. He had like a really nice routine and then he wasn't able to complete his dismount. He got up to handstand and then just came off. So that was a shame. And then Vladislav Polyashov, I think he was going for like an upgraded routine. He ended up not getting credit for everything because he fell off twice on the same skill. He still has a really good execution score, though. Yeah. So he fell off twice, and his execution score is 6.833. 
That's I was quite surprised when I saw that actually. He also has a uh, three tenth neutral deduction. Did he just like I don't I don't remember, but did he just not get back up in time? Because that's usually what it is, like a time thing. I'm really not sure. I didn't um like catch that while I was watching it live. But yeah, I was quite impressed by like his routine because like before he fell, which was on the Fled Shivado, I think. Like, he was really, like, I was like, whoa, he's, like, going for it. It's, and, like, it looks good. So I wonder if we'll see him, like, attempt that big routine again. Also going for really big upgrades was the seventh place finisher, Joshua Nathan, who obviously kind of had his, like, big breakthrough last year, winning a couple of World Cup events. So he got credited with a 6.8, and actually on the broadcast, you could kind of hear him be like oh should like shouldn't that be a 6.9 so I did not catch that yeah I'm not so I haven't actually like gone back and figured out what everything he added was yet but to be honest the routine was kind of not great he fell once but kind of the whole thing was just a bit of a struggle so like maybe he like isn't totally comfortable with the big routine yet, that's what it kind of looked like to me. But I guess because it's like Olympic qualifying, he was probably just going for broke. That makes sense because I don't think any of the World Cups he's competed at have been for Olympic qualification. So um, Yeah, so he didn't have any points before this competition. So I think he was just kind of going for broke because with his usual routine, he wouldn't get the kind of score that you would expect to kind of win this competition so I guess he was like yeah we'll just go so I think that's everything for pommel horse so on to lanes so obviously the big thing here is that none of the Chinese gymnasts were able to make it due to the fact that any anyone coming from China was banned due to the coronavirus. So we didn't have Wang Hao for pommel horse and then no Yu Yang for rings. So this was like Petronius's goal to lose pretty much. And he won, which was not exactly surprising. What I guess was a little surprising to me is that he looks so much better than he did like two or three months ago. I know in the in the last episode of the last podcast episode, I mentioned that while his difficulty is back, his execution is not quite where he used to be. But this routine, it definitely looked like he was 100 percent back. I'm not sure about 100 percent. Well, close. Yeah, definitely better. He broke 15, which was. I think the first time he's done that since um, his surgery. Yeah, so he competed a 6.3 routine, which is not the highest difficulty he's ever done. I believe he's done a 6.4 before, but it's kind of his, like, usual. Yeah, I think even when he did compete the 6.4, it was not very often. Yeah, so he won by over half a point. Right, and the second place finisher was another one of the Iranians, Mahdi Ahmad Kohani. I didn't realize that his difficulty was all the way up at a 6.2. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. 
you know, he also does the front double pike dismount like Ibrahim Cholak does, and I love it. Yeah, that's one of my absolute favorite dismounts. I think the only one I like more is front double pike half, but that doesn't actually add any difficulty. So, yeah, I'm just looking at my live tweets, and I specifically mentioned his Maltese positions, so they must have been good. Yeah. (laughs) And then our third-place finisher was Ali Zaran of Egypt, and... I really like him, so I feel like sometimes I have trouble finding things to criticize. I think his dismount was really weird. I can't remember what exactly happened, but I just remember it being weird. Yeah, his dismount is usually pretty piked. I mean, I remember during this final, I was like, why can no one do an actual laid out full twisting double layout? that really bugs me like everyone who does that dismount is so piked well I think it wasn't even just the position I think he like the landing was weird also yeah yeah I feel like if I'm remembering right like quite a lot of guys had dismount problems in this final yeah Courtney Tulloch fell on the dismount also Yeah, and that was such a shame because I really felt like that was one of his cleanest routines ever. I was really, really impressed with the routine. And then he put his hands down on his dismount and it was like, oh, no. Yeah, even with the fall, he got a 7.566 execution. So that would have been if he didn't fall, like, second highest execution behind Petrunius. Yeah, and... The thing with Courtney is he's usually kind of known more for his difficulty than his execution, but he kind of downgraded to a 6.2, if you can believe that, and, um, (laughs) like, really went for the execution, and it really, like, it was really paying off until he fell on a dismount, so I'm kind of sad about that. (laughs) One other person fell on the dismount, and that was Hamza Yilmaz of Turkey. He ended up in eighth place. Yeah, I feel like this rings final is really kind of like two different fields almost. Like there was the guys with the like six and above difficulty and then there was like guys with like low fives difficulty. There was quite a big gap between those two separate guys. All right, so the other people we haven't mentioned yet was Ng Kyu Chung from Hong Kong. I hope I pronounced that correctly. (laughs) He finished fourth. Courtney Tulloch was fifth. Rick Jacobs from the Netherlands was sixth, and Debbie Dyson of New Zealand was seventh. Yeah, and one thing I just want to say is three guys in this final did a Beland in three, which is kind of crazy. That's an F skill. So if you don't know, that skill is hanging, and then you pull with straight arms up into planche. So... Pretty much any skill that has that pulling motion like that is, like, really difficult. This is kind of, it's not, no, the Balanin 2 is the most difficult variation of that because it goes to inverted cross. But, yeah, three guys in the final did it to planche, and I was like, whoa. Because you don't actually see that skill that very much, at least you didn't used to. No. So, on to vault. Oh, I was wrong. It's an E skill. 
It's an E skill, not an F skill. The two's an F skill. I got carried away. <laughs> it's still really cool, though. I love those skills. Anyway, vault. <laughs> oh, man, where do I start with this? Okay, so I guess uh, the... I think, I think the big thing with this final is that there were a couple of guys who made the final who could get this spot, but also... One person did not make this final, and that was Yonakura. Yeah, he qualified in ninth place, so just missed out. Yeah, so even though Yonakura wasn't in the final, his namesake vault was. So the winner, Shinji Wan from Korea, he did a beautiful Yonakura, which is a Kaz two and a half. Have to say it's better than Yonakura's one. Yep. It was just, I was like, astounded by how good it was to be honest he did go out of bounds on that though yeah he so on both of his vaults his second vault was a handspring two and a half on both of his vaults he had 0.1 out of bounds deduction but it ended up not like holding him back too much because he still won with an average of 14.866 which is a pretty big number yeah so That'll be interesting if they have to end up doing the intercountry tiebreak between him and Ryu on floor. I'm not saying yeah. it's going to happen, but it could. Yeah. And especially since you've got, like, Yonakura and Minami in the same sort of situation. Yeah, we'll uh, touch on Japan soon. Our other contender for that spot is Jorge Vega Lopez of Guatemala. He, I think, is leading the point standings right now. Um, Him and Yonakura are tied at the moment. Yeah, yeah, so Jorge placed second here, uh, less than a tenth behind Shin. Yeah, and then the bronze medal went to Andre Medvedev of Israel with an average of 14.55. He got credit for um, his Blahnik in this final. And he was kind of held back from placing higher because he had um, a couple of really big steps back on his super double pike. So, unfortunately, I think that means he's now out of contention for the vault spot because he doesn't have any victories, like 30 points. So, I think he kind of can't make it to Tokyo, which is kind of sad. The only other person with a 6.0 vault in this final was Adris Nunez from Dominican Republic. He has the Risa Guang vault, the the Souk double back with the full twist, but uh, he had a pretty nasty fall on that. Yeah, honestly, I'm not really sure how he walked away from it. Yeah, it his feet barely landed before his chin, it looked like. Yeah, and they had kind of a similar but not quite as um, deep landing on his second vault. The thing with him is, like, when he hits, his vaults are so good. But when he doesn't, they're terrifying. Yeah. So he does have 30 points from Coppers, so he's still in with a shot. If he can still walk by then, I guess. So we also have um, James Fiquetti from Australia, who is capable of a 6.0 vault, but he didn't do it here. Yeah, he was also trying to get the 
has two and a half named after him, but Yonakura beat him to it. Yeah. And I think after Yonakura got it named, he just didn't bother with it anymore. I feel like I've seen him do it, like, since then. But I think here he did, yeah, he did a Kaz double, yeah. so he was half a twist short of the Yonakura. And, like, you could tell that he can do it because it's, like, so easy for him. It was just, like, casual Kaz double. Um, so he ended up in fifth. Oh, Milad did, like, a stuck cold handspring double front. Like, bam. Like, you know there's sticks and then there's, like, sticks. Mm-hmm. It was, like, stuck. <laughs> yeah, he got a 9.466 execution for that. Yeah. So that was really cool. Um, but he just didn't have enough difficulty to push onto the podium because both his vaults were 5.2. He does sometimes go for 5.6 vaults, but I don't think they've ever really quite worked out for him. And then in sixth was Shuramka for Belarus. He did a really, really nice Dragulescu, but it was actually his first vault that kind of kept his score down. Yeah, he did a Kaz one and a half and... He, like, barely stood it up. I don't know how. <laughs> yeah, and then in seventh, we had Joshua Valla um, from Mexico. He actually had two 5.6 volts, but he fell on the second one, I believe. Yeah, he put his hands down on the Dragulescu, and it looked like he hurt his ankle after that. Oh, I've forgotten so, about that. Yeah, he, like hopped off the podium so i hope he's okay so i guess on to parallel bars again no one from china was here so that meant no you how and the front runner for this event well yusuke tanaka qualified in first place but polyashev is you know winning in terms of the olympic qualification points So those were really the two top guys that you should have been looking out for. Yeah, so Yusuke isn't eligible for the Olympic qualifying points because he was on the 2018 Worlds team, which qualified. And, oh, my God, I just, like, every time I see him do parallel bars, I want to cry. It's so beautiful. Yeah, because either it's, like, the most beautiful thing you've ever seen or he falls off, like, twice. (laughs) So either way, I'm crying. Um, yeah. So, but, uh, but this was the good crying. So, yeah. oh, it's just, oh, I've missed him so much. Me too. Yeah. yeah. So he actually got a 9.166 execution score for his routine, which obviously anything nine and above is insane. Yeah. Um, it was just like perfect. Like it was. Uh, I like well, I I. I'm, I have a very hard time not being biased when it comes to him, <laughs> to be honest. Well, um, he did have a uh, small hop on the dismount, and I think he had, like, one hand adjustment in the beginning, but that was, like, it. Yeah. So he he scored a 15.166 for second place, and Polyashov scored a 15.2 for first place. But Polyashov had a 6.5 routine, whereas Yusuke had a 6.0 routine. 
So, like, even though he was so far back on difficulty, it was so close because he's so clean. Yeah. So, Polyshev's got 90 points now, right? Yeah, but he's, like, he's in, basically. So, he's got his 90 points. And so, Yuhao has 85 points. So, he can... He could hypothetically get 90 Obviously, because we've got Baku and Doha left. But then we've but also got to consider the fact that um, it's obviously one per country and you've got Yu Yang on rings, Wang Hao on pommel horse. I'm pretty sure he... I'm not certain whether or not it's impossible, but I think it's pretty much... Like, it's not likely that it's going to happen. Plus, you'd have to win the tie break. And I'm not sure any of the scores he's got in are as high as the ones Polyashov has because Polyashov is on an average of he's on an average of 15.133 and I'm not sure what you house average is but I I don't think it's as high as that but yeah so basically Polyashov is is in there which is really exciting because he's never even competed at a world championships before yeah, he was just the reserve for this past year. This past year, the year before, oh, the Olympics, the year before yeah. that. Yeah. See, I forgot about the whole Olympics thing because of the uh, Stratovich Ignatiev drama. Yeah, but he was the <laughs> second reserve, I think, Polyashov was. And, yeah, he was the reserve for 2015 Worlds and then 2014-year-old. 20, the 2014 Worlds, he actually competed in qualifying, and then they sent him home before the team final. I was gonna say that sounds like somebody else we know, but not not that last part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was a dark time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's a really big deal for him getting to compete, and it was really nice because like when his score came up and like it was kind of confirmed that he'd won he actually seemed like quite emotional and he just kind of like he's one of those guys who like he's very really smile. usually yeah like, he doesn't really like it's kind of a joke amongst like people who watch him like he doesn't smile and then his score came up and he's like smiling and it was like oh my gosh so it's clearly a very big deal Right, so our other medalist here was Din Phuong Dang from Vietnam. He's another yeah. one. Yeah. Beautiful toe point. His whole routine was beautiful. Yeah, and uh, just behind him, a uh, third of a tenth was Shoichi Yamamoto from Japan. Yeah, they were they were both pretty nice to watch. I don't think we've seen Yamamoto too much, at least not recently yeah i'm not sure we've seen him before really but you know and then everyone else in the final was kind of a ways back in fifth place was mitchell morgans of australia he was nice but like didn't really have any major errors just wasn't as clean as the top guys sixth place was frank Riken from netherlands he, yeah, kind of the same situation. 
I wasn't sure he was going to stay on his feet on the dismount, but he did. So, <laughs> and then the last two, seventh place was Milad Creamy. He had like issues with his Diamondov. I don't know how else to explain it. <laughs> so that was a pretty big error. And then in last place was Sergeant Demir from Turkey and he unfortunately fell. He fell twice, actually. Oh, I forgot to mention when we were talking about Polishov, but, like, he's changed his routine. Like, he hasn't upgraded it because it's the same difficulty as the one he had before, but it's different, and I find that slightly strange. But it was nice, so I guess it doesn't really matter. But he got rid of his piped double front on the bars, not the dismount. All right, on to high bar. I think this is maybe the event people were most looking forward to. Yeah, it's nice because, like, that whole saga has kind of, like, really got people who maybe weren't that interested in men's gymnastics before more interested in it. So that was quite cool. So obviously the big story with high bar is Zondralin versus Miyachi because... They're both really cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they both have like the highest difficulty and are leading the point standings by a lot. Like no one else is really in contention at, before this competition, at least. So. Yeah. So no one else has 90 points. I think Tin did before he qualified through Worlds, but obviously they get reallocated. So, yeah. Epcot I don't know and... if he had 90 points, but I think he had, like, 80, 85, maybe. No, uh, sorry, not 90. He had, like, 30s, like, first place finishes. But, yeah, so after his points got reallocated, Epka and Miyachi are the only ones with any 30 points, so it's literally impossible for anyone else to get the spot. Yeah, so Zonderlin was the first one up, and... He just did, like, a typical Epco routine. I don't know how else to describe it. <laughs> yeah, I think. So, in, like, recent years, he's cleaned up. I think this was not one of his cleanest routines. No, I don't um, think so either. But it was, you know, kind of typical Epco, like you said. Like, you never kind of thought he wasn't going to make his connections or anything like that. Really solid. But I do hope he goes back to being a little bit cleaner. <laughs> that would be preferable. So, Miyashi, on the other hand, had a couple of issues. He caught his, you know, he did his eponymous move fine. He did the Brett Schneider fine. He did the Casino fine. And then on the Coleman, he caught it, like, really close and, you know, had to bend his arms almost all the way to make the giant after, but then the giant after that, he didn't make it over. So. Yeah. It was just kind of one of those moments just like, you're going to catch, like, a laid-out double-double, but you're not going to catch a Coleman. I think he has an easier time with the layout skills because even though he can do his own move fine for – a while there, he had a lot of problems with the Brett Schneider. I'm like, you can do the harder move fine. Why are you having problems with this technically easier move? Yeah, I think I said the same thing, like, at the time. 
same. Like, it just seems like he finds the timing a lot easier on the laid out ones and the tucked ones. Like you said, like the Brett Schneider gave him issues for like a couple of years there. He would take it out in qualifying because it was like his riskiest skill, even though the Miyachi is like even more ridiculous. Yeah. But it's also the same thing with like he can do a double double layout over the bar to catch, but he can't do it as a dismount. <laughs> Yeah, he he flares the the full twisting double layout dismount like a lot. So I think he might have the air time to do it, but he also lands like kind of far forward. So I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, yeah, he's it's very interesting. Like his kind of the things that he's better at than others. Yeah, there were a couple other people who fell in this final, unfortunately. So not the cleanest. So those who were clean, obviously had a better shot of making the podium. And silver ended up going to Malad Karimi and bronze went to Mitchell Morgans. So I'm sure that was very nice for Mitch to get a medal on home soil. Yeah, and all three of the medalists broke 14 which was cool. I mean, Milad, I was really impressed with. He had such a good competition overall. He's got kind of the same, like, when he catches his releases, his legs get a bit scruffy, that kind of thing. But he he looks just really good overall. Um, 6.3 difficulty. Like, at this rate, he could be, like, a like a contender for, like, the high bar final in Tokyo or something. I mean, don't want to jinx it, but he looks really good. I don't think I would be surprised if he did make it. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like he's really, like, peaking for this year. Which, which is what you're supposed to do. Exactly. That's obviously the ideal scenario. The other people in this final, Umit Shamaloglu from Turkey, was fourth. Miyachi ended up in fifth. Alexander Miakinen from Israel was sixth. Unfortunately, he was one of the ones who fell. And Tyson Bull, also of Australia, he fell as well and ended up seventh. And in last place was Misha Kudna from New Zealand. I actually only watched about half of this final, so. Um. <laughs> yeah, Kudinov actually fell on the Kudinov. Um, oh, I didn't realize he did it. Because I don't think he's done it since he got it named. Yeah, so he, like, went for it. But he was so far over, he didn't even, like, touch his hands. But it was cool to see him go for it. Because that skill's just ridiculous. Like, I think it might be the single most ridiculous thing in the high bar code. Yeah, probably. And this is a code that contains the Miyachi, so. <laughs> so I guess the only thing left is... The American Cup. Right. right. So about a week, week and a half before American Cup, Nikita had posted on Instagram that both he and um, Lilia for the women would not be attending due to the coronavirus, which didn't really make any sense because at the time it was not really a big deal in America yet. (laughs) But then, like, the reason somehow changed because 
the story then changed to, oh, they're not attending because, like, America's too far or something weird like that, which doesn't make any sense considering they sent people to Australia. But whatever. But also, like, on the on the morning of American Cup, Nikita posted this video of him doing, like, a front double-double. And he was like, just, like, PSA. Just take the knife in further, why don't you? (laughs) Yeah. Like, just make us all the more disappointed we're not going to see you right now. Thanks for that. (laughs) Yeah. So, on to actual American Cup. Uh, Mess. Yeah. There were a lot of falls or other major errors. So, that was... Yeah, wasn't it, like, only, like, two guys didn't fall, and that was Sam and Shane? Oh, no, Diogo as well. Diogo. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. My little baby, Diogo Suarez, from Brazil. Uh, You guys might remember him. Yeah, you guys might remember him from the Youth Olympic Games. He had the surprise bronze all-around medal, and he was basically my favorite for forever after that (laughs) um this was his senior debut and he had significantly lower difficulty than everyone else but he also had the cleanest program out of all 12 gymnasts so he ended up in sixth place very exciting i feel like a proud mama (laughs) (laughs) yeah so he his so to put it in perspective, his total difficulty was 30.2, and the next lowest was 31.6. So, yeah, significantly lower than all the rest of the guys, which is to be expected because he's a tiny baby. But, <laughs> yeah. So the other tiny baby that we had here was Daiki Hashimoto and... We have both pegged him to have a podium finish here, and uh, he had a really weird day (laughs) where he did pretty well on his bad events and then bad on his good events. Yeah, it was weird. So I had, like, tentatively predicted him to win, and my main reasoning for that was, like, He's really consistent, and Sam and Oleg aren't. So he's probably more likely to hit. And oh boy, I was wrong. (laughs) Oh boy. On floor, Daiki, it wasn't, like, bad, but it wasn't what he was capable of. And then he fell on pommel horse, which was very sad. And... He also fell on vault, which was a little scary. Yeah, that was really weird because, like, I have never seen him struggle on vault before. Like, that vault was, like, the main reason, or that and Hybot, that he made the Worlds team last year. Like He does a Kaz double, by the way. Yeah, like, it's always looked so easy for him. So it's kind of crazy that he was, like struggling with it because he also it wasn't just like a fluke he was also struggling with it in podium training yeah that it looked like an ankle cruncher and a lot of us were surprised that he didn't injure himself 
or yeah. it didn't look like he injured himself. I heard he got some like massage or something after that, but his last two events were P bars and high bars. So I guess it kind of worked out. Yeah. And like he upgrade, like he's, he had the highest difficulty out of this competition and he didn't even do his full difficulty. So he kind of bailed out of his Russian flop on pommel horse and didn't get like as many rotations as he was supposed to. And he also in, so on the NBC stream, Tim Daggett said that like in training, he had done harder stuff than he competed, which is interesting because he like his rings routine was already like an upgrade from what he'd done previously. So yeah, he's like, the thing is Japan are really emphasizing difficulty right now, like really, really emphasizing difficulty. So like all the Japanese guys are like, right, we got to upgrade like everything. And it's like, right. We talked last time about how for all around, they want at least 35. Yeah. So here Daiki got credited with a 35.1 total difficulty. So he had upgrades on floor. And he had upgrades on pommel horse. He's added an icon, which is like my favorite pommel horse skill, and it's beautiful. And then he's upgraded rings, but I think the rest of the events were the same for now. But like this is like a whole two points higher than what he was doing at like nationals last year, like a whole two points higher, which is just ridiculous. So I was actually there in person. My tickets were actually for like the corner over by p-bars and when lichi kai was going to be on palm horse i like bolted halfway across the arena because i am not watching that from far away if i had the opportunity to be like 30 feet away so i ran all the way to the other side of the arena and what happens lichi kai falls I've seen him fall, like, this is, like, the sec- only the second routine I can remember seeing him fall on. Yeah, he yeah. fell once last year when he was trying to do an upgraded routine. I can't remember which World Cup it was. Paris. Yeah, that sounds right. But he fell here. But he still got one of the top scores because he was just so far ahead of everyone else on that event. <laughs> and another fall that... I don't think anyone was expecting. Oleg fell on P-bars. Yeah, on a stutz. It was like the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Like I said, my seats were right in front of that apparatus. And like, even he looked kind of confused. Like, what just happened? I don't know. His arm kind of looked like it collapsed a little. But I'd have to watch a replay. But yeah, like... Oleg falling on P-bars is not quite as weird as Lee Kai falling on Pommel Horse, but, like, obviously it's not a normal thing. And then, like, on a Stutz, like, everyone does a Stutz. Yeah. Just weird. The whole competition had, like, weird vibes. Yeah, speaking of P-bars, a lot of people, like, clip the P-bars. So Sam clipped the P-bars on his... Bob Sar, I think. Shane clipped it twice. By the way, that noise is like surprisingly loud in person. I was not expecting that. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, and um, you know who fell twice on P-bars? Mm. Was it Andreas? No. Oh, no. Um, um, who's Jouet? Yeah. Oh, that poor guy. He had an absolute nightmare. Yeah, that was a really rough competition for him, unfortunately. He fell twice on P-bars. He fell on pommel horse. He fell on vault. Yeah. He did Not a really nice high bar, high bar though. <laughs> yeah. Really, really nice. I love his, like, timing on his Takachi skills. And his Lucan is, like, huge. Yeah. I, I was just like, whoa. Like, I have to admit, I'm not really a fan of that skill in general. Like, I like the idea of it, but I just feel like no one pulls it off very well. But his is, like, my favorite, like, I think not my favorite one I've ever seen, because Kohei did it once, but, um, <laughs> like, it's definitely up there, like, one of my favorite ones I've seen. It's just, it's so smooth. Can we talk about James? Yes. James is really good. shocking announcement i think james hall is quite good at gymnastics um (laughs) it was he just had like the most james day where it's like kind of like kind of came in under the radar like everyone was like oh like sam oleg shane daiki kind of thing and then he just you know he was solid like did his thing fell on high bar at the end but you know minor point um (laughs) yeah and it was really funny, too, because up until that point, I was like, you know, James has been a rock all day, you know, with Oleg falling and, you know, Sam having some errors. Maybe he could even win this thing. And then he fell. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that, like, High Bar is, like, his best event, but it's also, like, the only event that he's not consistent on. Actually, his... um. His all-around total was less than a tenth behind Oleg, so. Yeah. I was so close between second and fifth, or even second and sixth, Sixth. actually. There was only, um, like, six tenths between second and sixth. So even though we were saying, like, Doki had, like, a rough day, he was still only, like, two tenths off bronze. And Shane was only also two tenths off bronze. Because they were only less than a tenth apart in the end. Yeah, so uh, this was Shane's first senior international all-around experience. And to end up fourth is pretty impressive, even with some of his errors on P-bars. I think that was maybe his only issue. Mm Mm-hmm. Apparently, he has some upgrades planned. Ooh. Don't. Yeah, the Gemternet said uh, he's got four, uh, he's working on four tenths on pommel horse and uh, trying to get his high bar to a 6.0 difficulty. He's currently at 5.7. He was being really secretive about the high bar upgrade, though. So. <laughs> four tenths on pommel horse is quite a lot. Well, he's only at a 5.0 right now, so he's yeah. relatively low. Yeah, I guess there's quite a bit of room for upgrades. But it's still, like, quite a lot at once, you know? Yeah. He's not, like, dead set on competing that. Just, like, if it happens, it happens. He's pretty happy with where his routines are right now. But, um... 
Yeah, I think his yeah. pommel horse is actually, like, noticeably better than it was, like, last year, even. Which is really cool. Like, I love when you can see, like, the improvements on, like, the weak things. I love when you can see how hard they've been working on it. I think that's really cool. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess we should probably talk about the guy that won. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> probably. <laughs> so, Sam Mikulik won, and this is his second American Cup title. I can't actually remember the first time he won it. So. 2014. Right. <laughs> I feel like this is kind of weird to talk about considering the rest of his strengths, but his rings routine was like one of the best I've seen from him in a while. Like he actually got an 8.7 E score, which meant his total was 14.1. And yeah, I was really impressed. Yeah. So we went over 14 on every single event. No, so- not horse. Oh yeah, oh. yeah. I can't read. Never mind. Disregard. Disregard. <laughs> he actually uh, had a little bit of an error on the dismount, and uh, I was yelling about it in my section, and everybody was staring at me like, "What are you talking about? That was fine." <laughs> so, uh, if you heard someone, if you were there and you heard someone yelling about Sam's pommel horse dismount, that was me. <laughs> So other than that, he broke 14 on every event, which is yeah, this... like that's kind of the, the like the, the baseline for where you want to be. Um, right. I know we mentioned this for Winter Cup, but he I don't think he brought out all of his upgrades here. He didn't. I don't think he did any of them. Yeah, I can't remember what he did on parallel bars, but he definitely didn't do his upgraded high bar routine. No, he didn't. He didn't do his floor upgrades. He didn't do his most difficult rings routine. He didn't do. He didn't do the makuts on P bars. He didn't do the Lucan on high bar. Like he kept it like, I don't want to say basic because obviously his routines aren't basic, but like. Basic. Yeah. I guess. I don't think I have much else to say. Oh, weirdly, Oleg did a P bars routine without a Babzar in it. Why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I was really, like, confused when I watched it. I was like, and here's the Bavsar, and there's no Bavsar. Okay. <laughs> Weird, because of, like, of all the things to take out of his routine to, like, downgrade. That seems like a bit of a weird one. But, I don't know. I think, obviously, there's always the question of, like, which Oleg's going to, like, show up, you know. Here, I would say, definitely... Like, obviously, like we said, he had some some problems. And he also did quite a lot of downgrades. So I wonder, like, if he'll stick to the same strategy for all of them or if he'll, like, upgrade as he goes or, like, what's going on there. Because he doesn't look like he's at full strength yet. Even though he did a really good rings routine, he still looked like his shoulder was giving him some issues. I know the... The stream showed a lot of, you know, him getting massaged. <laughs> yeah. And, like, it was a, it, he did look more comfortable in rings than I've seen him look in a while. But, like, in 2017, kind of before he got all his shoulder injuries, he was doing a 6.0 rings routine. Um, and here he did a 5.7. Um, re- the only event that he did full difficulty on was Vault. 
I think. He did a 6.5 on Pommel Horse, but if I remember right, he can go higher than that. So. Yeah, I think he's gone up to at least 6.7. Yeah. So, like, obviously you don't expect him to be, like, full, full strength, but he doesn't look even, like, World Cup Oleg strength. I feel like he's got a lot of different settings. Yeah. The thing is, though, if he somehow manages to get Ukraine a plus one spot, who the hell would they put? Yeah, that's the thing. I've been I've thought about this quite a lot. And like my team prediction for Ukraine is Oleg, Igor, Petro, and Naza Chapani, who um yep, yep. uh Junior Worlds. Yeah. One <laughs> I'm trying to remember exactly what he won. Yeah, he's the um current junior world champion on high bar. Um and he's like really good all around he's got huge difficulty already kind of although he did have wrist surgery recently so not sure what's oh, going on is that on why he like disappeared for a while yeah so that's kind of my expected team and then i'm like reasonable assumption yeah that's like the dream team right and it's kind of like they get a plus one spot they're gonna like send like Obviously, no disrespect to the other Ukrainian guys, but guys who aren't going to make any finals. Right. It, like, obviously, if they earn the spot, they earn the spot. But it, I don't know, it kind of feels like, I feel like it sounds harsh, but, like, almost like a bit of a waste of a spot. But then there's always the chance that, like, say, like, Nazar won't be, like, since he's just had his uh, wrist surgery, like, maybe he won't be full strength. Maybe he won't make the main team and they'll have to send him to do, like, high bar and pommel horse only or something like that like that would definitely yeah. be worth the extra spot so I guess it does give them some leeway for that if if they even get it I mean that's just assuming yeah. which you know so anything else to add um oh. so in sixth place was Pablo Breger from Switzerland Blah, Switzerland <laughs> and I don't think he had really any major, major difficulties. He was just kind of, you know, quietly working in the background. And uh, he had the second highest scoring high bar routine. And it was really nice. Yeah. um, Got into the 50s on total execution, which is always good. I think, he, you know, he had a little bit of a struggle on pommel horse, which... Is kind of a, a thing for Switzerland. Yeah. And funny story, even though he has a pretty low difficulty on rings, he's only at 4.6, which is the same difficulty as Diogo, but um, he has the highest execution, not just in American Cup, but like on my spreadsheet right now, which includes Melbourne and Petronius. So I, I just thought that was really interesting. <laughs> I mean, the same way that um, Daiki got, like, the third highest P-Bars score at American Cup. Like, how? <laughs> well, like I said, there were a lot of issues with P-Bars. Yeah. It's like the women's difficulty with uneven bars at American Cup earlier that day just got transferred to the men's parallel bars. Yeah, just not a good day for bars, really. No. Okay. The other guys we haven't talked about yet, Nestor Abad, 
he um oh yeah he fell on his parallel bars dismount which was kind of sad because it was pretty good up until then <laughs> so abad finished in ninth place Lee Chikai was eighth place oh i think earlier i said diogo was sixth place he was seventh after pablo so uh, my bad <laughs> And then in 10th place was Rene Cornoyer. He uh, he fell on pommel horse, so that didn't really go his way. And he also fell on high bar. So not not the best day for him. Yeah, I think, so I was watching the NBC stream. I didn't get to watch it live, so I was re-watching it later on. But something that Tim Daggett said, because occasionally he says things that I agree with, he was like, he feels like Rene is better than most of his international results, like, would suggest. And I think I agree with that. Like, I feel like he just I, kind of... I would agree also. Yeah, I feel like he just kind of struggles to kind of put everything together all at once, generally. Like, he's, like, so much better than his, like, scores here would suggest. He's an excellent gymnast. Yeah. He's just really, really nice to watch. I just I just have to say, watching him do that Yamawaki half in person was, like, magical. <laughs> it was really, really good. And then in 11th place was Hu Zhue from China. We kind of talked about him earlier. He just had a rough time in general. And then um, in 12th place was... Andreas Toba from Germany, and he didn't really have the best time either. Yeah, he's definitely capable of a lot more than he did. I, like, can't even remember what happened to Toba. <laughs> Just a lot of... I think he fell on high bar a couple times, fell on floor. Yeah, just kind of not a great day. Oh, you know what was funny, though, on his parallel bars routine? You know how sometimes on parallel bars, guys go onto the single rail and then, like, drop down and do a kip and, like, press back up again? Yeah. So so Andy Toba did that, except when he went, like, down under the bar, like, everyone thought that he fell, and they were, like, very confused. <laughs> I was just sitting there laughing to myself. But, uh, yeah. The, the audience did not know what was going on. Hu <laughs> Zhue uh, sat his tipelt in addition to, like, falling one other time on P-bars. Oh, yeah. I For vault, Renee kept warming up, like, pipe vaults. So I started getting really excited. I'm like, did he upgrade to a Blahnik? Like, what's going on? And then he just did his regular Roche. And I was mildly disappointed. <laughs> He's got a nice rush, though. Oh, yeah, no. It's generally pretty good, except this time he got three-tenths neutral deduction. But um, I just thought he was going to upgrade, and he didn't. Just one general thing before we uh, close it out here. I mentioned the last time that USAG had finally hired a 
men's VP, and that was Jason Woodnick, who was previously at Gymnastics Canada. Gymnastics Canada has now um, hired someone to replace Jason, and that person is Adam Jansen. Doesn't seem to have too much of a gymnastics background, but um, will be interesting to see what he does with that. They said uh, their stated goal is to qualify a team in 2024. So yeah, yeah, that's a good, good goal. <laughs> oh, and and Ibrahim's shoulder surgery. I totally forgot about that. I'm sorry to remind you. <laughs> Yes, so Ibrahim tore his biceps tendon in training, like up towards the shoulder, and ended up getting surgery pretty soon after. So, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next time.